Chapter 27 of Our Western Birds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Molehill Mountain. Our Western Birds by Elizabeth and Joseph Grinnell. The Bush Tit. The Bush Tit is the smallest of all our birds, save the hummingbirds. It is a familiar and abundant bird on all our coast. In winter, the woods everywhere are full of the tiny things, working for their living from morning till night. High and low, in bush and tree, far from our homes or right in our gardens and orchards, you may see and hear these little tits. They keep up a constant twittering, whether in pairs or flocks. In winter, they may be found in groups or family parties of a dozen to twenty. These are probably not real flocks, as you see in migratory birds, but a single year's family altogether. As from five to eight little ones comprise a single brood, and a pair of bush tits may nest three times during the spring, you can see that a single season may result in quite a family party, and they have a way of keeping together not seen with other birds. In late winter and spring, you see only pairs together. They begin to talk of family affairs by January and February, and may be seen hunting nest sites before the frost has left the ground under the hedges. The hummingbird builds the smallest nest among the birds, and the bush tit the largest, compared with the size of the builder. We have seen several of these swinging nests that measure 12 inches in length after they are stretched by wind and rain, longer than any oriole's nest we know of. Both birds work at the nesting beginning early while the weather is still wet and cold, like the thrashers and hummers. The bush tits may select any site from the top of any high tree to a low rose or other bush. There is no knowing where you may find it. But once you have become familiar with the twitter of the wee birds, you will know when you are not far from their nest. Sometimes it is at the tip of a swaying bow, and again it is concealed in a thick bush, but it is always hung like a pocket. So far as we can make out, one sight would be as good as another, but the low conversation the birds have over the matter convinces us that they have some good reason for selecting a certain spot. They must take into account wind and rain, with an occasional flurry of snow besides a hot spell, especially in Southern California. We have seen the bush tits build a good many nests, and examined more, which we have found in different places, and they all look alike. They are exactly the same color on the outside, varying a little in shade, a mixed drab gray and white. The nest is composed of mosses, bits of dried weed fiber, threads of plants, sycamore leaf wool, and soft bits of anything else. The beak of the bush tit is very small and pointed, and could not carry large loads of anything, like the mocker and the blackbird. So the nest is put together in the smallest pieces, bit by bit, making a sort of felt where it is finished, not easily torn or broken. Thistle blossom and milkweed, and everlasting with sage scraps, are hidden away from last fall's harvest by the wind and tucked into nooks for the bush tits to find in the spring. The bush tits are insect eaters, and among other foods which they like are the little spiders about hedges and on the trunks of trees and in cracks along the bark of dead wood. You have seen little round flat coverings of these spiders' eggs that stick on flat surfaces and are not readily torn up. In their search after spiders and fresh eggs for breakfast, the bush tits tear these little round egg wrappers off and then use them in their nests. All through the lichens and plant fiber we find these little round white discs. 
On the outside of one nest, we found 15 of these spider cocoons fastened with threads from decaying cactus stalks. One would think the birds would use strings to fasten the nest in place, but they do not. It is held by matting bits of anything together, not woven, but pressed and lapped. It is not like the Orioles' nest, though the nest of the Baltimore Orioles resembles it in a way. The Oriole actually weaves her nest of string or fiber. The bush tit makes a coarse, strong felt. You may understand the difference by comparing a piece of old wool felt hat and woven straw hat. And yet the bush tit's nest hangs to the tree as firmly as that of an Oriole. We have not known a storm to tear one of them away. It may become stretched and blown out of shape, but a nest full of young bush tits in a March storm is as safe as though placed under the barn eaves. The nest begins with a round, bulging upper end. After an inch or two, it narrows into a smaller neck, like a bottle, and then widens into the long pocket. On the side of the long pocket, a round doorway is made, just large enough for one bird to pass in and out. We have seen a doorway in the top as well, and in one single nest, there were three doors. But this is not common. Just one door is the rule, and that one is placed on the south side of the nest, probably so our northeast storms will not drive in. At the bottom of the pocket, on a soft lining of wool or plant down, the eggs are placed. The young remain in the nest until fully feathered, and when they come out they are exactly the same color as, and but a little smaller than, their parents. In our garden, they remain about the home tree for several weeks, like the hummingbirds, sitting on a twig at night, snuggled all in a row like peas with a parent bird on either side. The bush jits have built in the same pepper tree in our grounds for years. They are fearless of us and accept bits of things we place in sight for their nests. We have brought in old nests from the foothills and placed them in sight of the bush tits when they would pull them to pieces and use every bit in their new nest. Once, we placed surgeon's absorbent cloth in sight of the bush tits, and it made them fairly wild. They could carry more of this cotton than of any material they had ever seen. Cotton sticks together and doesn't fall apart like threads. The bushies worked long and well at the cotton until they had as much lining as outside to the nest. But a dreadful thing happened. Absorbent cotton takes up all the water, you know, and holds it. Common cotton will shed water. A storm came when the eggs were ready to hatch and drove right in the nest door. Of course, it drowned all the little bushies. There they lay in a puddle of water at the bottom of the nest. We had not thought of the rain when we put out the cotton. The old birds tore the nest all to pieces and built it over again in another pepper tree, but they would have nothing to do with the cotton. They dropped it on the grass. Nor will they touch another bit of white cotton, though we place it all about for the birds every spring. They have learned a lesson. The bush tits are very useful birds. Though so small, they never seem to get enough to eat, and you may see them at the scale on the orange and other trees, as if it were their business to help us get rid of it. If we had more bush tits about our homes, they would take all the scale that annoys us so. We have seen them hunt in a Japanese vine on the fence until they had taken every scale, and the olive trees are their favorite hunting grounds. Wherever the black scale is found, there, also, is the dear little bush tit with its cheerful twitter. End of chapter 27